Hey, good morning, Brookside. Good to see all of you here. Um, I too just want to welcome you. If you're a guest here with us today, thanks for, thanks for joining us here. It's, uh, it's just a privilege for us to be able to come together and to, to worship uh, in this place. Hey, I want to mention just a couple things to you before we dive in uh, this morning. The first is, uh, I know many of you have been um, doing the 365 challenge this year, and that's our challenge to read through the scriptures as a church uh, this year in, in 2016. And um, I just want to encourage uh, many of you on that journey. You are all the way through the book of Numbers. You're into the book of Deuteronomy, which means you're almost through the first big section of the Old Testament, the Torah. And so way to go. Keep it up. Um, it was so cool. A gal... Uh, said this to me this week. She said, I always told myself that I didn't have time to read the Bible. And I thought, well, we can all, you know, had that feeling. We can relate to that. She said, but honestly, I feel like I'm accomplishing more by taking the time to meet with God every day. My only regret is I wish I would have started uh, long, a long time ago. And I thought, man, wow, isn't, isn't that true? And so I just want to encourage you this morning. Maybe you haven't engaged with this thing at all. That's okay. I would encourage you, though, go online. Um, what we're seeing is that as we, as a church, engage with God's word on a consistent basis, God teaches us about himself, and our picture of him gets, uh, gets uh, really uh, more true to who he is, and that really impacts our journey of faith. And so I want to encourage you on that. I know I'm in a small group of a men's group, and, you know, when we, when we get together and we talk about, hey, here's the, here's the things that I read this week, um, God's doing some stuff through that. And so I just want to, um, don't feel like we can encourage you enough on that. Way to go. Keep it up. Uh, secondly, um, from time to time, uh, we want to just make sure that we're bringing before you things that God is doing in our midst that you might not know about, things that you might not know, but if you did know, you'd be encouraged by them. Uh, one of those is our college ministry. We have a college ministry that meets on Tuesday nights, and the thing that we love about that ministry is we love seeing the next generation of leaders um, and students finding and following Jesus Christ. And then right along with that is what we have, uh, we have an internship program here at Brookside. And so we've really formalized that program this year. And right now we've got nine interns, college-age interns, that serve throughout different ministries within the church. And they get real-time ministry experience. And then we get to pour into them uh, on a regular basis, twice a month. And the fun part about this is this. These are students that are saying, you know, I sense that God might be prompting me along this trail where I'm going to one day maybe go in full-time into ministry. And so here's why I mention this to you. When you invest in the ministries of Brookside, whether it's with your time or your resources or whatever, you are a part of us raising up this next generation of, of leaders, of godly leaders. And so I want to encourage you um, with that. It's, it's exciting things, what, what God is doing. Then the last thing is uh, I just wanted to follow up with you on last weekend. You know, last weekend we talked about what does it mean, we looked at the story of Caleb, and we said, what does it mean to be a person of extraordinary faith? What does it mean to be the kind of person that I have such a big view of who God is that it propels me to live a faith that is, uh, it's outrageous, it's extraordinary, it's the, the kind of faith that leads us to be the kind of church that it would be said of us, man, they hunger for God. That church, those are a group of people, they thirst for God. And I want to encourage you with this. Several months ago, we did a series called I Love My Church, and we said, what are the times when you stand back and you see a local church that's functioning in a biblically God-honoring way, when you see a glimmer of that, sometimes you stand back at the activity that's happening and you say, oh, I love my church. And I got to be honest with you, last weekend after our services, I had one of those moments where I just stood back and I said, I love our church. I love that you're a kind of people that you're continually responsive to the teaching of God's word, that when the scriptures are open before this group, you respond. And I just want to say to you, it is an absolute blast to be a part of it. An absolute blast. 
So way to go, way to be a people that we're longing to live with extraordinary faith. So I hope you're encouraged by that. Lastly, sorry, this is the second lastly, lastly, but here it is. Sunday, March 13th, um, we're going to be giving you an update on our For the City initiative. Um, we've had some important meetings since we last talked as a large group, and um, we've really got some steps laid out that are going to allow us to take some good progress. And so we're going to be unpacking that for you in two weeks on March the 13th, uh, that Sunday morning, okay? Well, hey, with that, um, let's, let's dive in. Here's where we're going to go today. Today we're going to be in the book of Deuteronomy. The, the book of Deuteronomy, as I said, is the last book in the Torah. It's the first five books of the Old Testament, this is the last one. And I'm really excited about this message this morning because when we look at the scriptures, we get such great hope for life. I had a few interactions with different people this week, and I walked away from each one of them, and I thought, I'm so glad that the message of the scriptures for you and I, it's one of hope. It doesn't lead us to a place of desperation, but the message of the Bible is, it's one of great hope. And so I think this morning, as we see this theme that's going to be lived out in the book of Deuteronomy, and we see how it applies to us, we're going to end up in this place of hope, and we're going to really be able to latch on to that. So before we dive in, would you pray with me? And let's just ask God, God, would you come in this place? Would you meet your people as we prayed? Spirit of the living God, would you fall afresh on us, and would you lead us this morning? So yeah, pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Lord, thank you that you've, you've brought us here. Uh, Lord, I pray for the guest here today, and I pray for actually all of us just alike. I pray that we would leave here today with a greater sense of who you are and what you long to do in each one of our lives. Father, I thank you that you are a good father. And so, Lord, we invite your spirit now. Lord, fall on this place. Lord, lead us, God. We open our hearts to you, Father. We love you, and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I want to begin this morning by asking you a question. Here's the question. Here it is. What do you do when you don't choose well? Now, don't, if you're married or if you're dating and that person's sitting next to you, don't look at them and ask that question right now. That's a different sermon, different topic, right? But what do you do when you don't choose well? And here's what I mean. What do you do in life when you are walking down the road and you know there's a fork in the road of a decision point and you know you should go this way, but you decide to go that way? What do you do when you don't choose well? What do you do in life when you know, hey, the, the road is very clearly lit. This is what I should do. And, and you kind of really wrestle with it in your spirit. You kind of have this inner battle going on. And, and you know, hey, I'm supposed to go this way. I, I know that's the right thing. That's the God-honoring thing to do. But inside of you, it just it's turmoil. And all of a sudden, you find yourself, boom, you go the other way. What do you do in that situation? What do you do when you don't choose well? And here's why this, this uh, question is so important is this, because when you don't choose well, you can think of it like this. It's kind of like, like you've got this little suitcase, maybe representing your heart this morning. And each time I don't choose well, I don't just get to walk away from the consequences of not choosing well. I actually bear those. I get to carry those around. And so I make certain decisions, and the ramifications of those decisions, they kind of go in here. And after a while, here's what I do. I don't get to just divorce myself of the consequences when I don't choose well. Instead, I carry it with me. You ever had that feeling? You ever had that weight you felt like, wow, I messed up, and now I'm carrying this around? When you feel that kind of that heavy conscience, that's actually a good thing. That's the spirit of God speaking into your heart and your life. But it's no fun, is it? It's no fun to carry around the ramifications of decisions that you've made. When you don't choose well, it hurts, doesn't it? And what we're going to see this morning is that the last thing that our Heavenly Father wants you and I to do is to continue to carry around the ramifications and the guilt of the decisions that you and I face. 
Because here's the thing, when I don't choose well, I can't simply just say, oh, I, no big deal, I'll just leave that decision, I'll just, I'll get that out of my mind and I'll continue on. That's not the case. It's like this, when we don't choose well, we carry it with us. It's not like we can go to the airport and we can just put our luggage on that revolving thing that just keeps that conveyor belt that just keeps going around and around and around and we can walk away from it. We can't. It's not like we can just take those decisions and the ramifications and we can just say, I'm just going to put this up in the attic, I'm just going to leave it there, and I'm just going to walk away. And this is why it's so important for us to be able to have a very clear answer to this question, what do you do when you don't choose well? What do you do? And my guess is this morning that even at just the mention of this topic, some of you are going, I know exactly what I would put in here. Things are coming to mind where you'd say, yeah, I know that. I'm feeling the ramifications of a decision, a poor decision that I would make. And I want you to know this morning, our Heavenly Father did not create you to carry that baggage around. You weren't created for that. It's too much for you to bear. And so this morning, we're going to look at this pattern that we see in, in the book of Deuteronomy. And we're going to get this kind of, I, I think it's such a hope-filled message that you and I, we don't need to carry the baggage of poor decisions when we don't choose well. The nation of Israel, we're going to see this morning is at a fork in the road. They're at this deciding point. Are, are they going to choose to be obedient and to follow the ways of God, or are they going to choose the other way? And if you know anything about their story, you know that they were a rebellious people. They were not going to choose well. They were going to fill up the suitcase in their own lives and in their own hearts. But then the question comes to us this morning, as it came to them, what now? What do you do when you don't choose well, so here's what's happening, and I want to take you really through the storyline of where the scriptures have been, because in order to understand where the people of Israel are headed, we've really got to have a clear understanding of where they've been. Maybe you've read the scriptures, maybe parts of them, and you thought, I don't understand how it fits together. I read this story, but I don't understand how it fits into like the general sequence of things. And so I want to fly at kind of a high level here for a minute and really catch us up to speed. What are the most significant things that have happened so far? What are the big line things that have happened as we've trekked through the scriptures? So if you remember, you've got Genesis, you've got God's beautiful creation. And then right into the midst of that, what happens? We see sin enter the picture. We see that there's a, a people, the people are rebellious against God, yet we see this thread go throughout the scriptures that when the people of God are rebellious and when the people of God, in a sense, give God the hand, we see this thread through the scriptures that God does not abandon them in that place, but God continues to reach out to them and continues to provide ways for them to know him. It's like this. It's like the parent who, who looks at their child, and though not everything is not perfect, they look past the imperfections, or they deal with the imperfections because the relationship is just that important. We see early on in Israel's history that God has made a promise then through the, the people, uh, through the family line of Abraham. And so think about this. God is saying this. He's saying, okay, I've got this one family, the fa family of Abraham, and I'm going to allow all of my people for generations and generations to come, that's you and I here today, to know who I am by how I show myself through this family line of Abraham. So God says, okay, I'm going to bless the descendants of Abraham. They're going to grow up into a great nation. And sure enough, that happens. We see that happen in the book of, of Exodus, and they become such a great nation. What are they? They become actually a threat. 
And so Pharaoh, what does he do? He enslaves the people of Israel. And so they go through this period of time where they're in bondage and slavery. And then we see Exodus. We see God take them out. He delivers them from their bondage. Genesis, Exodus. Then we get to Leviticus. Leviticus answers this question. How do a sinful people live in relationship to a holy God? How do a sinful people live in relationship to a God that dearly loves them? That's the book of Leviticus. Then we get to the book of Numbers. Last weekend we were there. And we saw in the book of Numbers that it's really the story about the journey that Israel went through and they traveled through the wilderness. What could have been a very short two and a half week trip on foot ends up taking them 40 years. And we know that over the course of those 40 years that there were people that said, you know what, we can't go into God's land. It's too difficult and the people are too scary. And then there were people, a select few, two of them actually, Caleb and Joshua, who said, yes, we can. We trust the promises of God. But God said, since you didn't trust me, this whole other group of people, he said, out of the whole nation, all that whole generation is going to die out and I'm going to just leave Caleb and Joshua and this new generation and that's when I'll fulfill my promise and you'll enter the land of Canaan. And so as you think about the book of Numbers, here's what you can think of. We've got this people of Israel. They've been on this long journey, and now where are they? They are standing. They've gone through the wilderness, and now they're standing right at the gate. They're about to enter the promised land, the land of Canaan. And this is a new generation. The generation that disobeyed God has passed away. This is a new generation. And now Moses is standing before these people and he's saying to them some very important words. I remember when I was a youth pastor, we would take kids lots of times on a day trip uh, just over to Adventureland. And I remember, you know, we'd get in this hot school bus and, and we finally get to the park. And it was like right when you got to the park and the kids could see the flags and they could see like the tops of the roller coasters. There was this little buzz, this sense of excitement that came from the group. And, and so we'd park the bus, you'd turn off the bus, and all of a sudden everybody would stand up. Now as a youth pastor, that's when I would try to stand up before they stood up. And if they had stood up, I would say, please sit down. And I would say, hey, we need to talk real quick. We're going to have a blast today, I'd say. This is going to be awesome. And then I'd say, but here's a couple things you got to know. If you do these things, we're going to have a great time. But if a couple of you squirrels in the back decide to do these things, it's going to be a disaster. And so you got to choose today, great day or disaster. Here's what's happening. Moses is standing before these people and he's saying this. You have the opportunity to go into the promised land and this is how you can succeed. This is how you can live in relationship with this God who has not given up you. This God who just is, this is just as true for you as it is for me. That God is for us. He was for them. And so Moses, if you know anything about his journey, he has put it on the line for these people time and time again. He stood up and said, oh God, don't, no, 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 God, don't do that, Lord. Uh, please, you know, and he's, he's, he's gone to bat for these people. And so we see Moses and he's really at this point where this is his farewell address. So imagine this. He's journeyed with these people. And in a very serious tone, he speaks these words of the book of Deuteronomy to them. And it's as though Moses is really laying his heart out to them and saying, I care about you and I long for you to succeed in this land. So Israel is at a fork in the road. If they obey God, they're going to experience life and blessing and joy. Everything that the promised land has been promised. But if they don't, if they, if they choose the path of disobedience, they're going to experience pain. What we're going to see this morning is really this pattern that we see in the Old Testament, but it's really a pattern that's true of all humanity even to today. 
And where we're going to end up, though, is we're going to get to, we see an Old Testament pattern that we still see today, but then we're going to get to a New Testament truth. And it's a truth that impacts this pattern, this pattern of all humanity. Now, as Moses stands before these people, though, all of Israel, these are just how important his words were to them. He says this in, in chapter 32. It says, when Moses finished reciting all these words to all Israel, he said to them, take to heart all the words that I solemnly declared to you this day so that you may command your children to obey carefully all the words of this law. They are not just idle words for you. They are your life. And then he says, by them you will live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to possess. What Moses is wanting to say to them is, hey, I'm not wasting my time. He's saying, this is a big deal. I've journeyed with God. I've now journeyed with you. And this is my farewell speech to you. I'm about to die. My words are not idle. The things that I say to you, if you'll follow them, you'll be blessed. But if you choose not to, it will not go well with you. And so that's the backdrop. Moses says that to these people. And you're going to find, if you know the story of Israel, this question for us this morning is very important. What do you do when you don't choose well? What do you do when you don't choose well? What did they do? Where did God, where did Moses lead them? And where does he lead us? Now there's two things that are important to know that Moses does as he gives them this speech. The first is this. Moses has them look in the rearview mirror. Moses says, I want you to look back. And he begins to recount to them all the events of their journey. And, and he talks to them about what's happened. And, and here's why he does this. He points out to them that your, your ancestral line has been rebellious to God. And his whole point in, in, in going through all that history is to say this, don't hit repeat. He's saying, I don't want you to be the kind of people that you look back one day and you say, we did the same things that were wrong that our fathers did that our mothers did. And then the second thing, the second major significant thing that he does is, is this, is he says he encourages them. He says, I want you to be a different kind of people. Not only am I going to tell you what happened in the past, but he says, you be different. He says, I want you to be the kind of people that you write a different story for your family. I want you to change your family tree. Let me ask you the question. I know many of you here, maybe this morning, you would say this. When you think about your family, when you think about the lines that you've traveled, some of you might say this, I want to write a different story. Ever had that feeling? You said, I, I want to be different. I want to start a new branch to this tree. I want, to, I want this to go a different way. Moses is saying, you've got that opportunity, and he longs for them to take it. And so he says this to them in, in chapter 1, verse 1. He says, these are, the words, these are the words that Moses spoke to all Israel in the wilderness east of the Jordan. Now here's why I take you to that first verse. They are at the edge of the Jordan, meaning this, they can see the promised land. They can see the land of Canaan. They can probably see how good it is even from where they are. They surely know how good it is from everything that they've heard. They're right there. And then he says this to them. He says, now Israel, hear the decrees and the laws that I'm about to teach you. Follow them so that you may live and, and may go in and take possession of the land the Lord, the God of your ancestors, is giving you. Observe them carefully. Or, yeah, do not add to what I command you, and do not subtract from it, but keep the commands of the Lord your God that I gave you. And then he says this in verse 6, 
He says, observe them carefully. Now, this is the theme that we're going to hear over and over again. If you read through the book of Deuteronomy, you say, man, I feel like I've heard this like 10 times. It's true. Moses is saying, be careful. Hey, don't miss this. He's saying, hey, have your attention up to what I'm saying to you. Observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and your understanding to the nations who will hear about all of these decrees and they will say, surely this great nation is a wise and an understanding people. Moses is saying, if you will obey these commands, other nations will look at you and they will say, who is their God? Who is their God? We want to be like them. It's going well for them. Who is their God? And so Moses, though, continues to say to them, though, be careful. He says it again. Look at this. He says it in in chapter 5, verse 32. He says, so be careful to do what the Lord your God has commanded you. And do not turn aside to the right or to the left. Be careful. Now, when it says commanded you, these commands that Moses is talking about, we see in chapter 5, they start with this. They start with the Ten Commandments. But then when we get to chapters 12 through 26, Moses then gives them a whole nother set of regulations and commandments that would be helpful for them. These are things that are relevant to them. So their laws on, okay, how should they worship? Their laws on how should their leadership be structured? Their laws on social justice, things that Moses knows. If you follow these, it will go well with you. But if you, if you try to just say, no, we're not going to do that, it will go poorly with you. And then Moses does this. He gets to chapter 6. Before he gets to this, this other section of all these other commandments, he makes a statement in chapter 6 that in a sense, it's the essence of all the commands. It's called the Shema. Deuteronomy chapter 6. So he says this to them. He says, hear, O Israel. Again, he's saying, oh, listen. And if you know Moses' heart, he, I mean, he's journeyed with them. He's about to die Hear, O Israel, feel the emotion of those words. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength. These commandments that I give you today, they're to be upon your hearts. And then he says, impress them on your children, meaning what I'm saying to you is not just for this generation, it's for generations to come. As a church, we named a whole ministry after this, D6, Deuteronomy 6. Why? Because he's saying to to them, as he says to us, we want to pass down our faith to the next generation. Moses is saying, this isn't just about you guys. This is about future generations to come. Now, if you fast forward, we see then that Moses not only tells them what it's going to be like, the the consequences of their disobedience, but we also see that Moses says, hey, if you obey, this is what it's going to be like for you. And so he says this, fast forward, clear to chapter 28 now. He says, if you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all of his commands that I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on the earth, which sounds pretty good, doesn't it? I mean, that sounds amazing. Now here's the negative side, verse 15. He says, however, if you do not obey the Lord your God and you do not carefully follow all of his commands and decrees that I'm giving you today, all of these curses will come on you and they will overtake you. Now if you read from 15 on, you see these are the consequences of disobedience. These are the consequences. This is what it's going to look like for you. Again, it drives us to this question, okay, for the nation of Israel, what do you do when you don't choose well? What do I do? What do you do? 
When you come to the fork in the road and you know I should go this way, God would be honored if I did that, but you choose and I choose and I go this way and we fill this suitcase up, what do we do when we don't choose well? He says this to them in verse verse 1 of chapter 30, but I want to say this first. Moses knows something about these people. Moses knows that the trajectory that they're going to travel isn't a pleasant one. Moses knows that though he's laying out these commands very clearly to them, Moses knows that they're not going to be able to to follow through. And so we see in chapter 30 that he predicts a future day for God's people when when they will return to him. But here's how you can think about these laws and these commands that God gave to Moses and then to the people. It's as though this, it's as though the law for them, it helped them know two things. On the one hand, Moses knows the law is going to allow the people of Israel to show God their love, their obedience, their follow through. The fact that when Moses said, hear, O Israel, they heard. But on the other hand, the law is also going to let them know where did they fall short? Ever been in a restaurant and you're having a good meal with somebody and, and then you get up, you go to the restroom and you're washing your hands, you look in the mirror and you see in your tooth, you, you got a big old leaf on your front tooth. You ever had that happen, right? That's what the law is like. The law is like a mirror and it shows you, it showed the people of Israel, this is where you've gone wrong. And so Moses then, what does he do? He tells them, okay, this is what you can, this is your consequences if you obey, these will be what will happen if you, if you don't obey. And then he looks ahead, knowing that they won't, he says this in verse 1. He says, when all these blessings and curses that I have set before you, when they come on you, and when you take them to heart, meaning this, when you're remorseful, when you know, hey, I fell short, hey, I know that it's full, I know that my heart is heavy. When you take it to heart, wherever the Lord your God disperses you among the nations, and, and when you and your children return to the Lord your God and you obey him with all of your heart and with all of your soul according to everything that I command you today, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you. Now know this, every time that the nation of Israel is disciplined, every time that you and I go through that kind of experience, this is the end goal for God, restoration. We see it throughout scripture. We see this constant weaving of people being rebellious, yet God stepping into their rebellion. Why? It's because of relationship. He longs to restore us to him. God is for you. Then he says this, verse 4, even if you have been banished to the most distant land and under the heavens, and from there the Lord your God will gather you and bring you back. What great news. And then it says, the Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all of your heart and with all of your soul and live. I love where Moses goes with this. Think about this for a second. He says, okay, I'm going to take you not to the place where I'm going to say to you, you know what you should do? You should take your luggage. You should take all the baggage of your poor decisions and you should clean them up on your own. Instead, Moses says, no, 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 no. The greatest thing that you can do is not to continue to carry a weight that just gets more and more heavy. The greatest thing that you can do is, he says, you run to your God, and what will your God do? 
your God will take your heart. He will circumcise your heart. He will make your heart new. He will cleanse it. I love this. The prophet Ezekiel, he said this. He said that that our hearts can be like stone. But what can God do? God doesn't say, abandon abandon ship. No, no, no. God doesn't do that. God says, no, no, no. I'll give you a new heart. I'll take your heart that's like stone, and I will give you a heart of flesh. Have you ever met somebody with a really hard heart? It doesn't happen overnight. You know why their heart is hard? It's because they've been carrying around sin for a long time. And over time, that just has an effect on someone, doesn't it? But God says, no, I want to take your heart. I want to give you a new heart. I want you to be able to be refreshed, to have a heart of flesh. What do you do when you don't choose well? Moses says this to the people of Israel. He says, you run to God. You go to God and you say, okay, this is what's inside my my suitcase. And you say, I open it up to you. Why? So that you might give me a new heart. The Apostle Paul, I love this. Romans chapter 7. It's as though the Apostle Paul, he writes in his own like personal, private journal about his life. But instead of like shutting it, he shares it. And I wonder if Paul was ever like, oh, did I send that? You know, like, whoa, you know. But I love Romans chapter 7 because it's so real. And here's the thing. Paul the Apostle, this is a guy who wrote more than half of the New Testament. What did he do? He dealt with the fact that he constantly was battling within his, own, within his own self. He was battling his will. There were times, it was kind of like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. There were times that the Apostle Paul was like, I, I, I know the good I want to do, but I don't do it. There were times where he was like, that's where I should go, but this is where I'm going. And he saw that there was this war, there was this battle within him, yet God used him significantly, be encouraged by that. But I love the words that, that Paul wrote then. He said this in Romans chapter 7. Paul said, I, for I do not do the good that I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. You see his dilemma? You ever felt like that? You're like, I know, I know what to do. Why did, I, I've had that argument already. Do we seriously need to argue about that again, right? You ever had that happen? And then he says this. He says, for in my inner being, I delight in God's law, But I see another law at work within me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin that is at work within me. Do you see? It's kind of even confusing how he's writing. It's like this double-minded. It's like this battle within him. And then he says this, what a wretched man that I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? And then I love verse 25, take hope and joy in this. Thanks be to God, he says. Who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thanks be to God that God doesn't just say, hey, good luck. You just carry that around and you'll feel the weight of it. And the more that you sin, the heavier it will get. So build up your arm strength. God doesn't say that. And the Apostle Paul, as he works through this dilemma that you and I work through, he says, oh, but thanks be to God. Who delivers me. It's like, you know, I throw the suitcase. He delivers me through Jesus Christ. Paul says, where do you go when your baggage is heavy? He says, you go to Jesus Christ. You open it up and you say, okay, this is what's inside, Lord. You know it. John chapter 2, it says that you know my heart completely. There is no surprise to Jesus. What do I do with it, though? I go to him and I say, God, I've sinned against you. And I've sinned against someone else. 
But through Jesus Christ, Lord, thank you that I'm delivered. And that doesn't make light of our sin. Actually, that signifies that our sin is very significant. Because what did it take for you and I to be delivered from our sin? The sacrifice of Christ. But we take joy this morning, we're delivered from it. You remember Psalm 51, if you're doing the reading, you read this about a week ago. The backstory is this, King David is feeling convicted because he came to a fork in the road and he had to choose, will I commit adultery or will I not? And he chose adultery. And then he came to another fork in the road, will I confess or will I cover? And he chose cover. And so he had a man murdered so that he could try to cover his sin. Now I love this. When you ask the question, what do I do? When I don't choose well, Psalm 51 gives us the answer. Because David writes this. He goes before God and he says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Lord, blot out my transgressions, wash away all of my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. And then he says, for I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. What he's saying is this. It's so heavy. He's saying, when I walk around with it, it's my sin is always before me. Have you ever had that feeling where you're like, if I would just confess, it might be a hard road, but oh, there would be freedom within my soul. And then David says this, verse 10. He says, oh Lord, create in me a pure heart. Again, right to the heart. Create in me a pure heart, oh God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. And then he says this. He says, do not... You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. That would be easy. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. Verse 17, my sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. What do you do when you don't choose well? Here's what you do. You go before God and you say this, God, I come before you with a broken and contrite spirit. I am like the people in the book of Deuteronomy. I know what to do, but sometimes I choose to not do it. And so, God, I come before you and I just say, hey, there's no secrets, but Lord, I don't want my heart to become hard. I don't want to be that bitter kind of person. There are too many people counting on you for you to choose that path. But you go to God and you say, God, I'm broken before you. God, would you take this sin and I'll say to you, you know, there are some here that are here today, and you say, this isn't just like a little habit in my life that you would put in the box. You would say, this is a big deal. And if I actually say to someone those very powerful words, someone that you love, I'm sorry, but would you please forgive me? If you say those words to someone, you are entering into very uh, tumultuous waters, aren't you? So I'll tell you what, it's worth it. Because here's what happens to you when you do that. You're, what you're doing is you're doing this. You're losing the grip. You're still going to have consequences for this. There's no doubt about it. But your grip gets loosened and your heart gets free because you go before God and whoever you've sinned against and you say, oh God, I give you this. Oh person that I've sinned against, would you please forgive me? And the freedom that comes with that. There's consequences, no doubt about it. But the freedom that comes with that is incredible. And so I want to encourage you this morning, maybe for you as I've been talking, you, th you thought to yourself right away, whoa, this is uncomfortable. This is a high challenge morning. You're a high challenge group though, you can handle it, right? But here's the thing, would you this morning acknowledge, what would you put in the case? What's maybe the sin that you just feel like, I have carried it too long, it is a burden to me. And would you deal with it this morning? 
Would you confess? Would you say those powerful words? I'm sorry. Would you please forgive me? And maybe you say that to the person that you love the most, and then you say that to the God that you love the most. And so let me pray for us, and let's just ask God to to really lead us here. Heavenly Father, um, I thank you for the the people of Israel, God, that you did not give up on them. And Father, you don't give up on us. But Lord, you deliver us through Jesus Christ. And so Lord, we take such great hope and such great joy in that this morning. And so Father, I pray for the person that's here today and they might just say, wow, you read my mail. I've got something that I've been carrying and it is so heavy. Father, I pray that out of your love and your grace, you would remind them this morning that they were not created to carry it. God, would you speak to them in this moment? Would you remind them of your love and your grace? And Lord, might we all, might we all, because we all have things to put in the case. Lord, might we all take joy like the Apostle Paul did when he said, oh, but, but what do I do now? Oh, I give thanks to God. Why? Because he delivers us through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so, Father, we want to worship you this morning because you paid such a high price to enter into our lives and to pay the significant price of your life for our sin. Lord, what joy we have. So, Lord, would you give us courage this morning? Would you help us to be people of action? Thank you that you have, Lord. And then, Lord, would you help us to be the kind of true worshipers that when we realize who you are and what you've done, Father, we sing with joy. We live with joy. Father, we live keeping short accounts because you are a forgiving and a good and a gracious God. Lord, we love you and we pray this now in your name. Lord, do business in our hearts. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Hey, let's stand and sing.